0: Today's episode is brought to you by the Frankenmuth Convention and Visitors Bureau. Come plan your vacation at Frankenmuth.org. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Call of Leadership podcast, where we talk to leaders in our Michigan community who answered the call of leadership. We'll hear their stories and get their advice so we can be better leaders for ourselves, our families, and in our communities. I am your host, Cliff Duvenois. And today, I have the unique privilege and honor of speaking with somebody who really knows the history of Frankenmuth as a community, as a city. A, his knowledge and the depth of what he can talk with us and share with us today truly is astounding. I've only talked to him for a half an hour, and my, my jaw's been hanging open the entire time. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Dan Halman Stricker. Dan, how are you? I'm fine, Cliff. Good
1: to be here. So let's talk a little bit about where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up right here in Frankenmuth Township on Junction Road, so not even a mile away from the church here. Excellent. And what, what drew you to start to study the history of Frankenmuth? It was always fascinating to me about German immigrants about the Native American culture that was here that they interacted with. This is my congregation St. Lawrence that began as a mission here which grew into a community called Frankenmuth or Frankenmuth in English and it just it's just always been my interest. Excellent. And
0: you have you you got involved with the the Frankenmuth
1: heritage committee it's the saint lawrence heritage committee so it's it's church related how did you get involved with that organization well they're always looking for younger people and again this is something that fascinates me i can read german i can speak german a lot of these early records and books are in german so it's it's fascinating to me and what is the purpose of the saint lawrence heritage committee So the Heritage Committee is to collect and preserve and display artifacts relating to the the settlers, their immigration to get here, the Chippewa culture that was here prior to them, the mission work that happened between the two groups, and then how this grew into a community, into a very large congregation called St. Lawrence Lutheran Church.
0: What I would like to do is, and I do want to spend some time really talking about the the history of Frankenmoth. And I'd love to talk about some of the, some of the key pivotal decisions that were made, whether it was by one person or whether it was by a city, uh, that really helped to shape Frankenmuth as what we know of it today. So to give us a little bit of frame of reference, why don't you talk to us about, the, the, the history,
1: like when the first German settlers got here. Take us back to that point. Can I go before that point? Oh, please do. <laughs> so you have the 1840s where Ohio, Indiana, Michigan are being settled. There's still territories at this point. Michigan became a state in 1837, I think it was a state. Oh, already. okay. Yeah. All right. But so among these settlers were people from the eastern part of the U.S., but a lot of them were European immigrants, a lot of them were German immigrants. These Germans were scattered all over, didn't have pastors or teachers that knew the German language to teach their children, and so they wrote letters back home to Germany saying, help us, we we wanna teach our children the faith, but we don't have anyone trained to do that. There were mission societies in Germany who took it on as their project to train people and come to the United States, often the Midwest, to minister to these German immigrants and bring them together into congregations. And
0: so that was the, that was the precipice to start getting more of these, I guess, German missionaries to start to settle in
1: Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Right, and so because so many people were leaving Germany at that time in the 1840s, this pastor in a little village called Neusau, Pastor Lüe, whose name is on the street across from us, he thought, why not organize them here in Germany already so that they can emigrate together, travel together, buy their land together, and, and form a community and a congregation right from the start rather than by accident and why not place that settlement near a population of Native Americans to have that first settlement serve as a mission. So it was that,
0: it was that basic idea that led to Frankenmuth
1: being founded. Yes. Here. Yes, and, and so these, these, the German mission societies were communicating with immigrants in America on getting suggestions, how do we do this? Where should we go? And there was a Pastor Schmidt in the Ann Arbor area who they corresponded with, who, who recommended this Saginaw Valley area of Michigan as being well suited for farming and that the lands were now available for purchase because there had been treaties with the, with the tribe. And also too, that this area here had a large population of uh, the uh, the Chippewa Indians, I wouldn't say large, but there were they were here. There was a village farther down this Tuscola Road, uh, but again the 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 Chippewas were nomadic. They weren't. They were always moving with the seasons, with the with the harvests and the hunts and and the fishing. Okay. But yes, there were scattered settlements on the all of these rivers in this area: the Cass, the Tittabawassee, the Saginaw, and so on. So as as you and I are conducting this interview, we're
0: sitting inside of the church museum, just across the street from St. Lawrence. Lawrence, Lawrence. Sorry, <laughs> from St. Lawrence. I, I just saw the, I just saw Lawrence, and I've just been calling that every time from St. Lawrence. So, for our audience members, when this museum does open up, you really should make it a point to get over here and see it because this museum is steeped in so much history. You can you can smell it, you can see it, you can touch it. It it is truly Truly amazing. Why did the initial settlers pick that spot for the St.
1: Lawrence Church? So they bought a lot of land together so that it was contiguous and they followed. So, so they got as far as Saginaw, which was a small settlement. The men left Saginaw to clear an area for settlement here. So you need to come with a land surveyor to show you where is your land that you've bought. There were Indian trails through the forest. And so they had all of this land. And right away, they knew that they would allocate land for the church, for the Chippewa mission, uh, for the congregation's use, as well as for the private settlers' properties and farms that they would start. Now, you were also saying, too,
0: before this interview, and this to me I found absolutely fascinating, Tuscola Road, going
1: up and down here. That used to be a Chippewa Trail. As far as I understand, yes, it, it's parallel to the Cass River, so it makes sense. There was an Indian village of the Chip Otussin that's farther to the east of Frankenmuth. And so it just makes sense that when you start with nothing, you you use the trail that's there just to, to start from. And, and, you, and you settle where you're near a river and you settle where you're near a, a stream for drinking water. And yes. you want some ground that's up high so that it stays dry. From there, with the St. Lorenz Church
0: that's, that's being built, in one of the conversations that you had, and again, this was something else that I found really fascinating, is that... There seemed to be a a disagreement between the pastor and the parishioners between how to lay out the land. And it had to do with how it was done in Germany, which the pastor, the first pastor of St. Lawrence Church, was fresh off the boat from Germany versus a lot of the, the German settlers that were in the area. Talk to us a little bit about the dynamic of how houses
1: were being settled around the church at that time and how farms were being set up. So already before they emigrated, the year before, 1844, they had meetings in Neue and Dettlesau to discuss their, their church constitution and regulations, how they would conduct themselves. And so the vision of the pastor had been that we would create or recreate or settle in a pattern similar to what they were familiar with in Germany where the church is the center of the village. The farmers live in homes right around the church and then their lands and their animals are out beyond that. And when the settlers did all of their traveling to finally get to Michigan across the United States, they saw that the typical American farm settlement pattern was that each farmhouse was alone on its own farm which to the settlers made more sense because they had all this work to do to clear land and to plant crops and to, to raise animals and it would just be so much easier to do it when you're living right on your land so that was a disagreement between the pastor's vision and the settlers and ultimately the conclusion was this isn't a religious question this is more of a community settlement question. And so I guess they agreed to disagree and, and build their farm homes accordingly then on their own land. Excellent. And one of the things that I want to make
0: sure during this interview is, is I, as I, want it, I want to sh- kind of showcase these, I guess you could say these decision points, even if it was something that the community made that has kind of really shaped Frankmuth as we know it today, that I would consider to be one. There's another event that took place because, as, as we all know, when you said before that the pastor of the church wanted the church kind of like to be the center of town. And anybody who has looked at a map of Frankenmuth or been through Frankmuth realized that that's really not the case. The center of town is actually away from here. So talk to us a little bit about what was going on that kind of started making everybody move
1: towards uh, Main Street. Sure. And of course, there wasn't a main street at there, that time. Yeah, right. This, this Indian path really was Frankenmuth's first road, if you could even call it a road. But after just a few years, you had more skilled people immigrating here who could build projects such as mills and stores and a dam for water power. And right here in the area of St. Lawrence Church, the river valley is very broad. You can't build a dam because of the broad floodplain. It wouldn't hold back the water efficiently. But where the city of Frankwith now is and Main Street crosses the Cass River, there were two steep banks on both sides of the river that just made it a very logical place to put a dam there. And that gives you power so that you can do milling and sawing. And so you have the beginnings of some businesses there and it's natural for other businesses to then grow in that area. Even though most of the population was still farming and there wasn't really much of a town, you have some people living in that area near these first businesses. In what what year or what decade
0: would you kind of put your thumb on and say that this took place during this time?
1: I think it's still the late 1840s. It was, Oh, the it late was 1840s. Soon. Oh, wow. Building dams. Soon. Soon. Oh, excellent. Because again, you had in 1846, the second year of the settlement, you had almost 100 immigrants coming here. And each year thereafter, more and more are coming. And so there's more opportunities for, for people with skills such as shoemaking or dressmaking and beer brewing and, and things like that.
0: So one of the things that I would like to talk about is we're kind of talking about how, you know, first, this was religious settlement, which kind of turned into, you know, decision by community. Now we seem to be having uh, commerce, which is now building up alongside of the river downtown. But anybody will tell you that the Frankie booth that we see today is heavy on the tourism side, restaurants, hotels. At some point, when you have all these people that are working down there creating these jobs, we're now, you know, for lack of a better term, starting to become industrial, so to speak. People are coming into towns, they're given jo- uh, jobs. When did we start seeing hotels, restaurants, things of that nature starting to appear
1: down there by the businesses? The Zenders restaurant and Bavarian restaurant date way back to hotels of the horse and buggy era. So the 1800s, I think back to the 1850s, because back then roads were bad. It was all by horse and carriage. You can only travel so far in one day. And at the end of your day, you need a place to stay overnight. You need a barn for your horse. You need to be fed. Your horse needs to be fed and then the next day you leave and continue your journey. And so we were a stop in the north south travel of Michigan's pioneer era. And so hospitality was here very early already, but it was a form of what we called hotels where the first floor was the the bar, the what you'd call a restaurant now, and then the rooms were all upstairs. So with with hospitality
0: being so early on in the DNA of Frankenmuth as we, you know, as we know it, is there another one of these points that you can think of that has really had an impact on modern day Frankenmuth as we know it?
1: I would say education is also very important to the community. And it began with this mission to the Chippewa Indians was the first school that the congregation set up where it was trilingual. It was Chippewa, German, and English. And then as the population increased and more immigrants came, it turned into a system of one-room schoolhouses, which were church-operated, but then you needed public schoolhouses separated by state law. And so you had still the the Frankemuth children up through the 1930s, certainly, were being educated in both German and English. And so I think it it created a natural desire for education, and education was very important. Certainly religious education. Many local people were encouraged strongly to become Lutheran teachers, Lutheran pastors. And then the, the public school of with the public school system and the St. Lawrence school system, both both um, grew in quality and in, rec- in in recognition. And so that attracted more people to come to live here that weren't German, that didn't grow up here, but they found the community attractive. They found the spirit of festivals and and. Community projects, they found that inviting, and they brought their own contributions to our community then as well. So it sounds like just based on our
0: very brief conversation here, that a lot of what has shaped Frankenwood today really has been in its DNA from the very beginning.'ve you've got, you've got the religious aspect on one hand. you've got the hospitality business that moved right in here very shortly thereafter. And then probably one of the primary reasons for the religious aspect was the educational system and
1: making sure that that educational system was the best that it could be. Sure, I, I would agree with that. Sometimes when you live here all your life, you don't see the big picture, whereas a person like you might, it might be more obvious Well, to you. you're
0: putting me on a pretty high pedestal right there. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone! When we come back, we're going to talk about the decision that seemed to really impact the city of Frankenmuth as we know it today, including how to stop all that flooding that submerged over half of Frankenmuth nearly every single year. But before we do that, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by the Frankenmuth Convention and Visitors Bureau. German architecture, chicken dinners, and the world's largest Christmas store are just the beginning. Frankenmuth is quickly becoming known for so much more than Chicken and Christmas. From trendy dining to timeless horse-drawn carriage rides, kayaking to adventure parks, ballparks, water parks, regular parks, sweet Moses, there's a lot to do in one trip to Frankenmuth. Visit the must-sees of Little Bavaria, then grab your crew and find something new waiting to be discovered. Pack a picnic blanket, order takeout from your favorite place, and let your kids delight in exploring while soaking up the little moments in life. Join the generations of families in our hotels during the 175th anniversary season in 2020. The perfect road trip awaits you. Start planning your unforgettable family vacation at frankenmuth.org. Now, back to the show. Tell us a little bit more about some some of the decisions that have kind of shaped from that point forward that you can think of that has helped to establish Frankenmuth as we know it today. Well, I would
1: say first, first of all, when I-75 was planned as a highway, the area people here realized that, that now Frankwith is not going to be on the main north-south route anymore. So this would be probably what, the 1950s? Yes. Okay. Just my rough guess. And so these business people and their families and so on start thinking what will we do to get the traffic to come off of ISA and into Little Frankimuth and, and visit us? How do we make ourselves special enough to do that? Well, so the idea was let's have a festival, let's highlight our heritage, let's have the buildings reflect the German heritage of Frankimuth's settlers. Let's, let's have a German menu at the restaurant, the Bavarian Inn. And with that thought also, and I forget which era this happened, but a dam was built on the Cass River, or I'm sorry, a dike, that was a mistake. A dike was built along the Cass River to stop the annual spring flooding of downtown Frankemuth. Because why invest in more improvements if every year it floods and you need to boat people into your business? Right. So that was a major decision that the community had to invest in a dike to safeguard their early town settlement area. And the second choice or decision, a big decision was, how do we market and develop Frankemuth to keep people visiting us once I-75 is taking the traffic past us?
0: You know, and it's interesting you say that because I remember reading it was It was an article from many moons ago talking about how that this was a problem that and everybody knows route sixty six but this is a problem that they faced along route sixty six when the freeways came along. A lot of these little towns died because they were so used to having people stopping along the way, restaurants, hotels, whatever it is shut down because people were taking the the expressway because it was you know it was just faster. you get from point A to point B when you're talking about the flooding and the dike that was and i'm trying to get a visual in my mind because i these days i don't i don't ever think about franken flooding if you're coming down main street in frankenmuth there's a spot just past tescola where there's 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 a pretty good dip down in that area there where you have where you have prost and and the fisher playhouse you've got the
1: inn you've got zenders is was this area that you're talking about that would flood that was all flooded yes that would that would typically flood. And so there are old pictures where you see people in rowboats who are ferrying in people to a restaurant that the floor is high enough, but the street is flooded. And so it's almost like a little Venice going on there for a short time of, of the spring season. Boy, I would love to see those photos. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I really and, and a lot of times people never took a picture of main street Frankenmuth but when it flooded well then you got your camera out and you did take it up there's news you know it's a <laughs> it news looks different then. yeah <laughs> yes i know if I, if i can digress a little bit to the decision with i and the the showing off its heritage that was somewhat risky because this is the 1950s germany is not very popular in the united right. states we just, we world just war II. had a devastating world war with Germany as our enemy. We just went through an era in our country where the German language and books and culture were not favored. They were, they were looked, at, looked at as the enemy property. And so it took some guts, I think, to decide we can, we can make this work because we're a German-American community. We have American values and German heritage. We, we are speaking German here, we have German services. And the other thing was you had a lot of American soldiers after the war stationed in Germany. And the, the part of Germany that the United States occupied was Bavaria. And so that is where Frankenmuth settlers came from. So you also had that connection of former soldiers, could come to Franken with to relive a little bit of the German experience they had while stationed in Germany. And be able to hear the German and drink, drink, some the, beer, drink some beer, sing some songs, eat some German food.
0: Excellent let's talk a little bit about let's talk a little bit about this museum and I would like to talk a little bit about the log cabin that's out there so talk to me just a, a little bit about about the history here in the, in the museum what did
1: this building start out as? So, we think it was built about eighteen eighty, which we know is the year that the church was completed, the brick church in the era of the country schoolhouses. all the children walked to the closest school. You had districts where each district had to support and maintain support the teacher's salary and maintain the the school and the house that the teacher lived in and by the time the students were I forget if it was age 12 or 13, let's just say roughly 8th grade, they were near the end of their of their formal education, mm-hmm. and confirmation was the final rite that made them adult members of St. Lawrence Congregation. And so this building, which looks like a schoolhouse, was the confirmation house, or house, the instruction house, where the pastor gave the confirmation class their instruction in learning the faith so that they could take it with them for their adult life. And so this, this building had its wood-fired stove, and it would have had rows of desks and benches for the students to learn from the pastor here for their typically their final year of schooling. And this school here remained active until about when? I'm not sure exactly because the, the country schools were gradually consolidated into one large central school on Main Street near Star of the West. And so when that happened, then this building at some point was not needed anymore as a confirmation instruction once everyone was at a central school. Gotcha. About when did, was the decision made to turn this building into a museum? certainly already by 1944 they were preparing for the 100th anniversary of the settlement of frankenmuth in 1945 and i can imagine that during war years you have a lot of men who are gone you have a lot of war effort going on so it's amazing that they could also take on a project of creating a museum and so i think they they asked for donations from the members of artifacts related to the beginning of Frankenmuth and its uh, congregation and schooling. And so we have lots of family donations and portraits and arrowhead collections and uh, furniture, church furnishings in this. Excellent. Also located on this
0: side of the strait, there's a very unassuming log cabin that you could that you would probably miss driving by unless you knew it was there it's obviously it's it's built by hand what's what is the idea behind that log cabin who built it why
1: is it there sure it's a replica i believe built in the 1960s the instigator was tiny zender the owner of the bavarian restaurant and i think again the idea was to show the The heritage of what was life here when the settlement began can we give people a feel and let's build that replica on the spot where we believe that first permanent religious structure was built we we think it was a combined parsonage and church and school but that's somewhat debatable but again that so it's on it's on an original spot and that's why it's set back from the road and a little bit hidden. But there, right away then there were tours of Frankmouth you could take, which would then debark, is that the right word? Or, sure. Um, here and tour the St. Lawrence Church and tour the log house and see the, the bells that were brought by the settlers in 1845. Speaking
0: of which, the bells that are out there. Tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about
1: why why the bells are even here. Where did they come from? Sure. There were mission societies in Germany that definitely were trying to encourage the settlement of Frankenmuth, as well as missionaries and pastors and teachers in the Midwest of the U.S. And so these two bells were cast in Nuremberg, Germany which would be the largest city of Franconia, the the area that these settlers came from. And they were were, a present to these first settlers. And the one bell has on it a figure of the saint, St. Lawrence, with a Latin inscription. And so these bells were rung daily because that's how people knew it was time to start walking to church for a service. Oh, that's totally
0: cool a gift from there, and I couldn't even, and, and when were these sent over here approximately?
1: They weren't sent, they were brought over with the first 15 settlers. First 15 these, settlers. besides their own personal effects that they had to bring over here, they also had, they had a crucifix that was given to them. They had these two bells. So that was, those were heavy items. To Very get heavy New items. To from New York Harbor to a place called Frankenmuth that doesn't even exist yeah, till you get there.
0: And how much do you think one of those bells weighs? I have no idea. Probably hundreds. Sure, upon hundreds of pounds. Sure. Sure. And that's really amazing when you think about the fact that at the time when this place was settled, roughly about
1: back in the 1840s, 1845 is when those bells and the first settlers arrived here.
0: Yeah, 1845 that those bells were shipped on a boat across the Atlantic. There's no power boat, it's all sail mm-hmm. so we're talking months upon months and then having to come down through
1: the great lakes the great agonar river and then finally a trail through here. the forest
0: that's awesome dan if somebody wants to learn more about uh, the history of frankmouth maybe they're even thinking they'd like to get involved with the the saint Laurent's, uh saint lawrence
1: heritage committee i got it right <laughs> what's the best way for them to do that So let's say you don't live here, but you're visiting Frankenmuth, I would say definitely visit the Frankenmuth Historical Museum on Main Street at the bottom of the hill. That gives a great overview, starting with the immigrant journey in 1845, and how the settlement changed from a mission to the Chippewas into a small town, and, and how it kept growing to the present time. So for a visitor, that definitely is the, the place to start and get the full depth of the experience. Excellent. And then here at St. Lawrence, when we're not in a COVID situation, we love to give tours to groups of people, whether they come in buses or just a, a couple of people in a car, we have a committee that is set up to show them these historic parts and our present church building when things are back to the new normal.
0: When things are back to the new normal, I love that. Dan, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I, I've, I've really learned a lot. It's really opened my eyes to, to this, this community and my time spending it here with, with all these, these wonderful people in your community. It's just added a whole new layer. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today.
1: I'm glad you could be here to see where everything
0: began. Glad to be here. Hey, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, then subscribe to our email newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll get new episode announcements. You'll get all kinds of great behind the scenes information on upcoming guests. Plus, you'll receive special offers from our guests and partners that you can only get through the email newsletter. Subscribing is quick, easy, and best of all, it is free. Just go to callofleadership.com slash email, type in your email address, and you're done. Once again, that's callofleadership.com slash email. I'll catch you in the next episode.